Kristen, we're going to be talking about Jane Austen quite a bit. You love Jane Austen. I like Jane Austen. You think she's smart. I have a great deal of respect for Jane Austen. Here's the problem. I think Jane Austen is starting is getting put back on the shelf that she was once put on. Ah, oh, the lady shelf. The lady shelf when she was first starting out. I mean, look, I think, ladies, here's a nice little romance novel. Exactly, for you. <laughs> exactly. I feel like it's so easy and accessible, ladies. Right, right. It's all and all the guys are so handsome and they're all so well dressed. And I feel like I feel like I feel like Jane Austen is getting put back on that shelf. Uh, we're gonna have a special guest here to talk about the movie Austen Land with us. Maybe she can shed some light on. If she agrees whether this is happening or not and, and why. And then we're going to review uh, just kind of a grab bag of uh, this week's releases, a it's horror kind of movie. a weird mix. It yeah. is a very weird mix. A, a horror movie, a documentary, and a action co- mafia action comedy with Robert De Niro. Uh, but before we do that, let's introduce ourselves. I'm Rafer Guzman, movie critic for Newsday. And I'm Kristen Meinzer, producer for The Takeaway. And this is Movie Date. Okay, why don't we start with the horror film? Insidious. I think this is Insidious Chapter 2. Did you see Chapter 1? Of course I did. Did I you did not know. see Chapter 1? I didn't see Chapter 1. What? And, and I was still able to mostly follow this movie. Oh, so, good. I thought you might have been completely lost. I, I was still mostly able to follow it, um, uh, although I still feel like you should give the plot <laughs> <laughs> I had a feeling... You were going to say that, and lucky for you, Kristen, I have come prepared. I see you have it all written down in front of you there. Yes. Yeah. Uh, okay, so um, this is the sequel, obviously, to Insidious, uh, which was about the Lambert family. Uh, they were a family who moved into a new house. The house turned out to be haunted. And their young son was snatched by a demon, which forced the father to go rescue the son from a spirit realm called the further. So in chapter two, the Lambert family is back. Uh, Patrick Wilson and Rose Byrne are back as Josh and Renee Lambert, uh, Barbara Hershey as Grandma Lambert. And uh, the family is beginning to wonder. All these hauntings and mysterious goings on are still happening. And people are starting to think, what if it's not Josh who actually came back from the further? Here's a clip. I heard voices in the hallway. You've got to go. It was Daddy. You have to. And he was talking to someone. You have to go. Is there something wrong with Daddy, Mom? Let, let's <laughs> let's talk a little bit about why this first. I mean, I guess you can't say you didn't see the first movie because you can't really quite explain why it was so successful. That movie was made for a an, an incredibly low and I would say visibly low budget of one point five million dollars, and it made ninety seven million. Holy it was, Toledo's! It was a hit. Um, I mean, that's that's ninety seven million is almost a is a is a qualified hit on a on a normal budget just about. Um, wildly successful. This was directed by. Uh, James Wan, who uh, uh, directed uh, the first Saw and also written by uh, Leigh Whannell, uh, who also plays Specs, the assistant ghostbuster oh, yeah, yeah. in Insidious. He's the writer of the film. Uh, these guys were the guys who launched the Saw film. Oren Pelly and Jason Bloom are involved in this. They are the guys who helped bring us paranormal activity. 
clearly these guys are are on to something. This 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 franchise is also seems to be doing well. This movie is expected to be another major hit at the box office. And I feel like these movies make me feel like a crazy person because I they seem so abysmal to me. The, these movies seem like like parodies of a bad horror oh, film. Oh, come on. They're Ray, so or... awful. Is it Everything because you don't about like baby them. dolls? Is it because you don't like pianos that play themselves? Is, is it, it because <laughs> is it because I've seen them not only in the first film, in the first Insidious, but in in like Every horror film I've ever seen, the Don't look ro- under the, the bed. Don't the put your arm in the horses closet. that start the the woman in the Victorian gown who's floating around in the background. The everything about it, I there's not one single original idea, and everything else in the movie is so bad. The acting is so bad. The writing is so bad. My favorite. You don't like Patrick Wilson? You know, Pat, what's with Patrick Wilson? He's becoming like a scream king. He's, yeah, he's, he was just in that other movie. He was in The Conjuring, yes, also a James Wan film. He's, now he's been in three James Wan films. Uh, yeah, you know, Rose Byrne, not that great. Barbara Hershey, not that great. But I mean, how great would you have to be to elevate this kind of material? My favorite line in this movie is. Well, there's a guy who speaks to the dead by rolling dice. And, of course, the spirits <laughs> arrange the dice to spell out words like yes and no. And then one of them – of also, did you notice that they used – I'm pretty sure they used the backwards effect to, ro- to where he rolls the dice? Uh, yes. Right? So, so what he's actually doing is, is scooping up prearranged dice and then shaking them. Mm-hmm. You roll the film backwards. It looks like he's shaking them and then laying them out. So, But I also Clever. thought like – God, that looks obvious. That's like an old trick from the Super 8 days. Anyway, so he he throws the dice. They spell out um, – it's like Mater Mortis. <laughs> and, the guy, and he goes, Mater Mortis, mother of the dead. And the, and the assistant goes, what does that mean? <laughs> and the guy, which is, which is, uh, which is a, a, a howler of a line enough. But then the guy actually responds, it's literal, the mother of the dead. <laughs> I I just I couldn't believe it. You don't I can't think believe that any this of movie. That was intentionally funny. I I felt like some of it was intentionally funny. Like looking at the dice. Okay, so the dice stuff when they would throw the dice out, I actually thought that was hilarious. Like, what are the dice saying? And there's like thirty dice, and I found two letters that spell something, <laughs> <laughs> right. and the two letters spell no. No. I found an N and I found an O right. in all of these letters. I, I know. I just – everything about it is so awful. But the screening I was at, people were howling, laughing, clapping, I I was sitting, jumping, I was screaming. I two seats down from you screaming. You heard me. That's right. That's right. That's right. You were there. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, oh, God. I don't get it. And it really – most of the time when I see a movie like this, I can – I think to myself, oh, I understand. You know, this is not my cup of tea, but I understand why, you know, Twilight. I understand why the girls love Twilight. I don't understand why anybody would go see one of these movies. I, this is a terrible date for me. A terrible date. Terrible date. Well, I'm going to say it's a mediocre date, hmm. but it, it has some scares. Yes, I was screaming in it. And if you look at it just so, it can be kind of a comedy. Well, should we move on to another film that maybe is a little bit less scary, but I just I know you wanted me to give a quick hint on this movie. Yes. You didn't get a chance to see. It's called Harry Dean Stanton, Partly Fiction. It's about the character actor, Harry Dean Stanton, who's 87 years old. He's been in about 200 movies. Yep. He's been around for 
gosh, my whole life, your whole life. Oh, de- easily. He's been, he's been in movies ranging from Pretty in Pink to Cool Hand Luke. Paris, Texas, straight Repo Man. Story. Yep, Straight Story. Yeah, he's been in everything. So. Seven Psychopaths just yeah. recently. Yeah, so here's a clip of the movie. I want to dance with Harry Dean, drive through Texas in a black limousine. It was about me in Paris, Texas, and I didn't realize at the time what a great accolade she was giving me. He found out about the song, or somebody told him about it. And then, so we had, of course, then to meet. Now, that's Debbie Harry talking about how she wrote a song... Um, oh. I want to dance with Harry Dean because <laughs> she saw him in Paris, Texas. And then a few years later, he uh, found out about the song and she said, hey, why don't we meet? And then there you go. So one, right. of, one of the things in this movie is Harry Dean Stanton. We look back at his career. We see that he's a quiet man. But we also find out he's kind of a ladies man. <laughs> is he? Is yes. he a ladies man? He's been with some of the... Uh, more famous, illustrious women in Hollywood. and um, I didn't know that and, about Harry Dean. Yeah, and I would say that that's part of the fun of the movie. It's like, oh, so you were da- dating Rebecca uh, DeMornay? Is that how you pronounce her uh-huh, name? Yeah, And yeah. then she wanted to be in big movies, so you introduced her to uh, Tom Cruise, and then suddenly she's dating Tom Cruise, and you're like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Harry Dean, way better. Yeah. I mean, the best, the best thing about him is he just looks like hell. Mm. I, I love that about him. When when he was in uh, Repo Man, so this was 84, one of my favorite movies, uh, Alex Cox said that the reason he, he cast Harry Dean, and Harry Dean was only like in his 40s at the time, looked like hell back then too. <laughs> and, and Alex Cox said he uh, cast him for his quote-unquote Western cadaver look, <laughs> which I thought was so, so perfect. Um, anyway, so I'm glad I'm glad one of us saw that because I, I do want to see that film. Yeah, it's a pretty good date. So I know, Rafer, you don't have a ton of time to see a bunch of extra movies, but it's a short movie. I think it's only like 75 minutes. Oh, okay. But I would say it's totally enjoyable if you know who Harry Dean Stanton is, if you like him at all. His folk singing's beautiful. And it's just a, a nice, intimate look at somebody who we don't normally, you know, think that much about because he has been so great at flying below the radar all these years. It's on my list. Um, All right, let's go to a film that stars another actor who has been around uh, for decades upon decades, although slightly higher profile, Robert De Niro. Who is playing uh, what else but a mobster? In, oh goodness! Hey, in the has action he ever comedy, done that <laughs> I don't think he has. I'm not. <laughs> has he ever played a mobster in a comedy before? Hmm. Mm, uh, so he's playing a mobster in the family. Um, this is a movie about uh, a snitch, a, a former mobster now turned snitch. He's he's under the witness protection program with his long-suffering family, played by Michelle Pfeiffer as his wife Maggie, and uh, they also have a teenage son and daughter. The problem is whenever they get relocated, and for some reason they've been relocated a lot in Europe, wherever they get relocated, they can't help but lapse into their old ways, Mm. Uh, beating people, blowing up the local businesses, uh, running extortion rackets. nothing but a J thing. You don't understand. (laughs) You just can't stop it. You're a gangster, and you just can't stop. That is right, Kristen. That is right. Uh, Word up. uh, (laughs) We're so so awful. (laughs) We're just terrible. I know we're cracking ourselves up here, but I feel like, are we misappropriating something? No, that's. I think that's perfectly acceptable. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, in this movie now, this family is in Normandy, France, of all places, trying to blend in with the provincial French, and things, as usual, are not going that well. Here's a clip. How was the first day? Uh, it was pretty good. Anything to report? Nothing. How'd you already met the neighbor? The guy on the left, yeah. What'd you talk about? Nothing much. Roses, mostly. 
Try to fit in, will you, Freddie? I'm getting tired of finding you a new place to live every 90 days. Can I rely on you to try? Sure, as long as I can rely on you. So uh, this is directed by uh, Luc Besson, who I know you and I both we enjoy. love Luc Besson. The Femme Nikita, The Professional. Let's uh, not forget our favorite, The Taken series. The Taken series. He's also – he's a great um, uh, producer as well of, of good B-level action fare like the Transporter films. Um, and uh, this is based on a novel, interestingly enough. So, uh, Kristen, I think a lot of people went into this uh, – movie with low hopes, including myself, and it was a Wednesday night, late Wednesday night screening, which is always a bad sign. Um, What did you think of this? I thought that the action sequences were fun. I always love to see Tommy Lee Jones and this as the long-suffering parole officer. Yes. Not not the parole officer. Yeah, the FBI, the Fed. The the Fed. And and he's always fun to see, just exhausted, like, ugh, I cannot stand one more misstep from you, mister. Right. Um, So he's always fun, but... I would say the movie feels so disjointed when the action sequences are happening. It's so snappy. It's so fun. It starts off pretty swift. Diana Argon, who's the teenage daughter of De Niro and yes. Michelle Pfeiffer, there's one point early on where she does not take crap from any boys who are trying to do crap to her. Right. And that's fun to see. Uh-huh, it's fun. Uh, it's fun to see teenage brother uh, play the game. He bribes, he steals, he does all sorts of... That's great to see, and it's snap, snap, snap. But then there are all these moments in between that just kind of lag, mm-hmm. just talking to the neighbors. Oh, mm-hmm. well, I don't really like the water pressure in my apartment. Or, and <laughs> it's just like all that is, these that kind is a... of drawn-out things that go on forever, and the movie's so long and disjointed. And I'm like, why aren't they keeping the really snappy pace? And one point um, that I really, really felt was just hitting me so hard about how slow this movie was, they're showing clips of the movie Goodfellas, which is one of the greatest movies of all time, right. one of the greatest gangster movies of all time. And he is, Robert De Niro's in you know the town hall giving a lecture for some reason yeah, right. um, on gangster movies. And this movie, you see the first minute and a half of Goodfellas, and then you realize oh, I'd rather be watching a good gangster movie. <laughs> or that's what Did happened you... to me. Did that just hit you like a ton of bricks where you were like, oh, I, well, I want to I mean, watch a good gangster movie. I don't want to watch this movie anymore. Can a, I just leave right now? <laughs> on a technical, it's, it's funny too because the director of Goodfellas, obviously Martin Scorsese, is a producer on this on this film. Um, I in the In the version I saw... I don't know if you're misremembering or if something's changed because you saw it earlier than I did. Uh, mm. But in the version I saw, you don't see the actual film. You only <gasps> see you only see their faces watching the film, and you hear Ray Liotta's in- oh, introductory you know introductory what? voiceover. You're but it, right. You just hear it for as long as I can remember. Yeah, I always wanted to I be wanted a gangster. to be a gangster. Maybe it's brought up good memories of Goodfellas yeah, for you, okay, which could right. be. Which you're could right. Be. I didn't see it, but once I just heard his VO and that music, I was like, right. oh, why, why aren't we watching that right. instead? <laughs> right. I want to watch that. I think this is a uh, – I think what I didn't realize going in was that it's really kind of an action black comedy. It's, it's, I found it very dark, and um, the action scenes to me are sometimes – cartoonish in the way that you expect from an action mobster comedy and sometimes pretty grisly um you know he robert de niro beats people up with a, a baseball bat at one point he beats a guy with a baseball bat and that's not good enough when the bat breaks he picks up one of those um one of those sort of squarish steel mallets yeah and Ugh. i there and there are there's a i heard the audience like kind of gasp you could hear people go ooh, and people were really 
a little they, they felt the pain. Um, and there's more than one scene of that. He drags a guy down the street by, behind his car. He, um, you know, dips a guy into a, a, a barrel full of uh, chemicals. There are a lot of these really pretty rough playing action scenes that are a little jarring, given that the rest of the film is supposed to be a comedy. Um, but in a weird way, I kind of liked that. What? And I got kind Hold of a on. kick out of the movie. I did. What? I think for a couple reasons. One is... I felt that the movie kind of kept you on your toes, and so because it would be so kind of loosey goosey, funny, and and doofusy in parts, but then the the action would kick in, and your adrenaline would, would spike a little bit, and you'd start to really fear for toes. what's happening. And I and I have to say, De Niro and Pfeiffer are really great, as you might expect. They're always great. They're, they're totally, always great. They're, they're I mean, really good. They're good both together. of them know how to play mobsters. They've both done it before. They're great. And but... and, it's, and again, it's it's broad and cartoony in some of those points. I think you're 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 definitely right about how disjointed it is, and I, I I still have a hard time figuring out what the whole water pressure subplot was about. <laughs> it's a very strange, strange subplot to throw into this movie. But um, the one one nagging problem for me is that you never know why De Niro snitched, and you never get to find out what his justification for that was, and you never find out, as I think you need to find out in these kinds of movies, how he was a good guy. In the end, he's not really a good guy. In the end, he and his family, I mean, they've just wreaked so much havoc on this town. And other people have died because of their... Dozens and dozens and dozens of people in Normandy are dead now because of you. (laughs) And all so we can protect the four of you, you and your wife and your two bratty kids. Right, right. (laughs) And, and, And in some weird way, um, the movie and the movie seems to kind of know this. The, the ending of the film is kind of funny, but it's also it has this weird downbeat tone to it. Where oh god, are we spoiling things? No, I don't think are we you... are. I'm, I don't. I don't want to say, but the, but there's a weird little. There's a note of kind of unhappiness to the film's otherwise comedic ending that oh. is is very strange. And much I, like the audience feels much, that downturn yeah. of. Sucks. No, that's not what you meant to say. That's not what you meant to say. So you're saying bad date. It's a bad date. Mm. Too disjointed, too all over the place. You know, if they cut this down to an I don't know, an eighty five minute movie, I think I would have really liked it. It's it's a bit long. There's just like I said, these drawn out moments of like, do I have to hear about your fake novel any longer? Do I have to hear about your water pressure anymore? He's writing his memoirs throughout the uh, throughout the Yeah, I just uh, too many dragging points, not snappy enough. This should have been snappy, it should have been fun. It was gruesome and slow during a lot of it. Bad, bad, bad date. And I thought you? I thought it was I thought it was interesting, uneven, well acted, funny, and deeply flawed. And I would say it was an okay date. Okay, that's about that's about <laughs> where I would have to I would have to land an okay date. Well, I don't. Are we recommending anything this week? So far? <laughs> we, oh. we, we might be recommending Austin Land. Oh, you'll have to wait to find out, yeah. listeners. And now, Kristen, let's discuss the movie that I know has been much on your mind yes, of has. late. Yes, it has. <laughs> this is Austin Land, um, a movie that is, uh, was open already in limited release. It's expanding wider this week. Um, this is a romantic comedy. It's the story of a 30-ish single woman 
uh, unlucky in love for two reasons, uh, I would say. One, because she tends to date abusive losers. And two, <laughs> when she does date a nice guy, she ignores him and watches reruns of the 1995 BBC series Pride and Prejudice, uh, starring Colin Firth, of course, as Mr. Darcy. Uh, that's right. Our Jane is a Jane Austen fanatic, so much so that she pays for a vacation at Austenland, a role-playing resort where perhaps she'll find her own Mr. Darcy. Here's a clip. <clears throat> Jane Hayes. Yes. And I've been I've been thinking about my pseudonym and I was thinking, um, Miss Joyful, maybe? <gasps> You've already been assigned a name. Miss Erstwhile. Miss Erstwhile. All right, so here to help us make sense of Austin There's land. There's so much to make sense of in and, this movie. <laughs> and all things and all things Austin. Uh, we have a special guest, uh, Meg Levin, a regional coordinator of the Jane Austen Society of North America. She's a coordinator of the New York City region of that body. That's a, that's a title longer than most people in Jane Austen novels actually have. Uh, Meg, thank you very much for being with us. Thank you very much for having me. Okay. Oh, we're so thrilled to have you here. And we have to point out, we'll take a picture of this and put it on our website. Yes. Uh, Meg is wearing a shirt that says, I married my Mr. Darcy. Very nice. Very, very nice. nice. So prepared for today. So let's talk about this movie a little bit here. My first question, I guess, would be, um, I think this particular Austin Land Resort is fictional, but are there such things? Well, there are places that will have Austin weekends where a number of people do come dressed up and they have talks, they have performances, they have events. There's often dancing, which is a big attraction right, to a lot right. of Jasna members, the dancing of the period that you see in the movies. Yes. You also have national conferences or North American conferences. This year's going to be the 35th conference of the Jane Austen Society of North America. And these conferences last for days also, right? A long weekend. And yeah. do you dress up? Yes, I do. <laughs> Some right. people nice. do, but plenty of people don't. So it's not like it's any kind of requirement. Now, one other thing I have to point out about the movie, which I'm curious about, the Jane Austen Society of North America. In the movie, it's pretty much presumed that all of the Jane Austen enthusiasts or the majority of them are women. And thus, when a woman arrives at Austen land, she has a kind of unbeknownst to her little script that's going to happen. There's going to be a man who courts her. There's going to be people who are servants. There are going to be people who are there to, you know, make things more interesting and so on while you're there. Mm -hmm. And in the Jane Austen Society of North America, is it the same thing where it's mostly women? I guess at this point there are more women than men, but I do have to point out it was founded by two men and a woman. Oh, okay. Uh -huh. And in the 19th century and the early 20th, it was um, male authors who were particularly impressed with her and just men in general. I can think of several people. I mean, one in particular, a very famous British philosopher who, when asked if he read novels, said, oh, yes, I do every year, all six of them. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And Cornel West is a huge fan of yep, Jane Austen. Right. And there are some yeah. big, famous names who really love Jane Austen. But something Rafer and I were talking a little bit about earlier on the podcast was whether or not this new movie kind of puts Jane Austen on the ladies' shelf, I think is what we were saying. Because uh, some people have said off and on over the decades and centuries that Jane Austen might be frothy or she might be just novels for ladies. And um, Rafer was wondering if this movie does the same thing. So – Let's talk a little bit about that. How, how do you feel about that whole idea? Well, I think those who think that she's frothy and she writes chiclet 
haven't read the books, or if they have, they read them. Very when they were very young, and all she they got. No offense, because yeah. I told I told Meg earlier that I've only ever read one Jane Austen novel, and ah. that's when I was sixteen. I read Pride and Prejudice. Right, and at that age, you're dealing basically with the plot and who's going to marry whom, and so on, and so you don't notice, especially since Austen's rather sometimes a subtle, sly writer. You don't notice the humor, the fact that she'll make a, a say a line. And doesn't mean it. She's the mistress of irony. So it's not like that at all. In fact, what the male writers admired about her in the 19th century, I think, was her toughness, her realism. She was quite a change from the 18th century female writers that had come before her. Not all of them, but certainly a number of them. It seems to me now that I I just feel with all these Jane Austen movies, there's there's something about Jane Austen having become sort of shorthand for I'm the thinking I'm the thinking woman if I've got a Jane Austen novel in my hand I feel like she's being trivialized again do you do you agree with this or not ah you know these things go in and out of fashion you yeah know? and um I remember I remember reading an anecdote I'm afraid I don't remember which writer who met someone who one of his novels had been turned into a movie and this person was very upset they've, they've ruined your books and so on and he pointed to the shelf and says no they haven't look they're still there <laughs> sure. really she will survive this sure Sure. Definitely. But how how do you feel about this movie? Do you feel that this movie is doing something good or bad to Jane Austen? I think that in a way it's it's a very glancing sort of thing, a glancing look at Austen. It really ought to be called Regency Romance Land. Yeah. <laughs> because there's actually very little exactly about Austen in this book, in this movie, sorry. Um there are a lot of actually, well, let me put it this way. There are Little references, I think, that a true Jane Austen fan would catch. Uh, for example, the rescue, as it were, in the rain. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, mm-hmm. the, the horseback. That scene. is very reminiscent of something in Sense and Sensibility. The sailor who's been away and comes back, persuasion. But in terms of the heroine, I don't know that she's an Austen fan so much as she's a Colin Firth in Pride and Prejudice fan. <laughs> it's the impression that you get, really. Yes. But given that, though, it's very amusing. I, I saw one of the previews and, um, you know, people were laughing out loud at this thing. Yeah, I was at a screening uh, last night and I have to say every okay, – there, there, it was a mostly female audience and most of us were by ourselves. We didn't have dates with us. We were just like a bunch of women who were sitting in the screening. And at one point, the lone guy who was in the room yelled out at the top of his lungs, Will you women stop laughing so I can hear what they're saying? Will really? you stop laughing? Now, Rafer, you're laughing because I'm getting the impression you probably didn't laugh once during this movie. Yeah. You probably rolled your eyes a lot and thought this is a dumb chick movie. You know, it's not that I thought it was a dumb chick movie um, or or rather or rather, I did think it was a dumb chick movie. And I was sorry to see that, that, that Jane Austen had been pressed into service to that end. I was sorry to see that she had been used to make just another dumb chick film. Um, and as you say, Meg... There's there's so little of of what really makes Jane Austen Jane Austen. I mean, the the heroine Carrie Russell. I mean, she's got none of the qualities that you usually find in a Jane Austen heroine. She has no wit, no insight. She's got no sense of irony. She never makes one worthwhile observation on almost anything that I can think of. And really, it's just, it seemed to me like what you're saying, she just loves the waistcoats and the bonnets. And that's really about it. And Colin Firth. And and of course, Colin Firth. Yes. Yes. So on our good date, bad date scale, 
you're saying this is a bad date, right? I thought it was a pretty bad date, yeah. And Meg, good date, bad date? How would you rate this movie? If you go in with the right attitude, it's some of it is quite, quite amusing, I thought. Great. Well, Kristen, I, I, you? I thought, I thought it was a really good date, and I, I do think that you're dismissing it too quickly by saying that this is kind of a silly, frothy chick flick. Yes, it is silly, and yes, it is frothy, but much like Jane Austen, just because it has a woman at the center doesn't mean that it's dumb. And I think that this movie is really smarter than you're giving it credit for, oftentimes more meta than you necessarily realize. Like Brett McKenzie as the singing stable boy, yeah. who in the movie is just the worst singer. And every time he sings, you just are laughing because right. it's so <laughs> awful. But in real life, Brett McKenzie is in Flight of the Concords, And when he sings, you laugh because it's fantastic. Not well, because he's, he's got a, he's got an Oscar for the song that he wrote for the, uh, the Muppets for film. The Muppets, yeah. Right. So I'm, I think there's more to this movie. I think you should just go in and have fun with it. You, you know, I, I don't think every movie needs to, you know, be so smart. I don't think every movie that's, you know, paying homage to something else needs to be as good as the thing it's paying homage to, I guess is what I'm saying. Somehow I was on Jane Austen's side, but we still wound up with the male-female divide where I hated this movie and you guys <laughs> liked it. <laughs> strange, strange. Well, look, I suppose one of the messages of it is really... You know, don't live in a fantasy world. Right. And indeed, it's a message for today's woman, right? Don't be looking for the ideal, perfect, he doesn't really exist man. Right. right. Yes. Look at the men you meet and look at the ones, you know, try, try to be realistic about it. That, that's certainly a very common theme nowadays, right? Yes. Women with, with a whole laundry list of he's got to be this and he's got to be that. You know, he's got to be able to order wine. It's a message I appreciate. That. That's yeah. for sure. <laughs> hey, but you found your Mr. Darcy. Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> Meg, thank you so much for coming in today. We really appreciate your stopping by oh, and sharing okay. all your knowledge about Jane Austen and, and your thoughts on Austen land. Yes, indeed. I enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. And P.S. If this is Austen I still love you Before we go... Let's do trivia. First of all, let's talk about last week's trivia. We asked, in honor of the imaginary friend genre, the you're stranded and now your beach ball is your friend, Wilson, we, <laughs> we, we were asking, in which movie is the imaginary friend named Richard Parker? Here is the correct answer. Hey, this is Kevin from Canton. Mass, just call about the question for this week. Richard Parker, I think there's a tiger in Life of Pi. Thanks. Bingo. Awesome job. Thank you so much for calling in with the right answer. We actually had several right answers, some written in, some called in. That was terrific. And, Rafer, what's this week's trivia question? For this week's trivia, since we're, we've are we been discussing so much uh, Austin, what's the word for that? Austinalia? Austinavelia? <laughs> um, we are going to ask a Jane Austen question. Uh, we'd like to know, who is the screenwriter of this Jane Austen adaptation? There have been so many, so many Jane Austen movies. Many people have tackled these movies. Name the, name the movie and the screenwriter uh, of this Austen adaptation. For there is nothing lost that may be found if sought. Shall we continue tomorrow? No, for I must away. Away? Where? That I cannot tell you. It is a secret. 
just makes me want to put on a bonnet and get out there and <laughs> it makes me want to put on a bonnet wheels. too. Uh, <laughs> if you know the answer, give us a call five seven one seven movies or log on to Facebook dot com slash movie date podcast. Put on your old gray bonnet with all the blue ribbons on it. While I hit you